surfing at 10 months from D-Day. I never imagined how infidelity would show me the meanest and strongest version of myself. 10 months after I discovered Mark had been having an affair for almost two years, admittedly, I was feeling the most secure I had ever felt since. I am certain that there is no right way to sail through infidelity. Staying or leaving, giving love a chance or pleasing your ego is not going to change the past. There is no magic formula to soothe the pain. I never understood my mother's bellowing when she too found out my father had been having an affair for over a year after 22 years of marriage. I thought she was exaggerating. Her scream couldn't possibly resemble those I have heard from widows at burial services in the Catholic tradition. There had to be something wrong with my mom. Yet here I was almost one year down the road to recovery after discovery and a husband who completed all the tasks established to be able to rebuild the marriage. I now understood my mother's pain and I felt I was emerging from the cocoon of fear as a completely different me. I didn't know this version of me. I knew for sure that I had to be strong, aware, defensive, and also forgiving, objective, and patient, mainly with myself. I had learned that it all starts within me and that the only outcome I can control is what I decide to do every day with what I have. It all starts within me. I chose to make the most of my still young family with my youngest child climbing the first steps in primary school. I was giving love a chance. I had set clear boundaries to keep the third party unwilling to engage in any personal connection with my husband. And they had both complied so far, out of fear, probably. I finally started to let go. I didn't want to spend any energy thinking of the affair partner or monitoring Mark's activities at work. It had been hard and it definitely changed me. For the better or for the worse, it made me short-tempered in the face of pending lawyer extravagant fees. I was exhausted by the fragility the betrayal imposed on my mental health. I was ready to embrace peace. The deadline for revising my relationship with Mark after the end of 2019 helped me relax while facing the challenging ups and downs that accompany the recovery process. When I was having a bad day, I knew that it would pass and I could focus on the reality of my present rather than dwell on the nightmares of my past. It was scary to let go. I had to run towards the open space and jump from the edge of the cliff, trusting that my emerging wings would be strong enough to take me to a safer destination. I told my ex-unfaithful husband to go on his own to work casual social events that he was invited to by his office personnel. I didn't want to be the clingy wife who accompanied him everywhere possible. I was not even interested in spending time with the people who had worked with him. That was Mark's tribe, not mine. 
The problem had arisen when his tribe became a central part of my suspicions of him having an affair, and then an eggshell covered territory after D-Day. The people around him at work were friends with the affair partner who worked in the same hotel. I spilled the beans to his office manager, Rose, so awkwardness was created with her. I then revealed the identity of the affair partner to Rose and I put her in a very difficult position. After all, she got caught in the middle of the discovery of her boss's affair. They were still all working together until further notice. I didn't want to care anymore. I was tired of the PTSD and the hyper alertness. I started the last two months of my first year as a betrayed spouse, releasing my husband into his work events, willing to work on my insecurities while he was going to be away and fighting the triggers, ghosts of the past. I needed to get to know and accept this new me. I just wanted to be able to smile again. I decided that if the bitterness of the betrayal erased the smile from my face, I would take a different path. At this point in time, my attitude regarding recovery was still on, with a great degree of assessment as to what my feelings really were. I was afraid the love I had for my husband was transforming into something else too. How to replace sad memories. Summer 2018 was when I discovered Mark had been having an affair with a co-worker for 18 months. Summer 2019 arrived full of triggers that reminded me of the way I felt during the previous year as the sun was shining and we replaced trousers with shorts. Mark's short sleeve collar shirts reminded me of the days I now knew he was leaving home to go to work events from which him and the affair partner would leave together and have sex in their cars. Disgusting thoughts like these flooded my mind with no control at all. Good thing is, there are resources and techniques to stop intrusive memories of the worst days of my adult life so far. And I had been studying and practicing with desperate keenness. Three books reassured me I needed to stop dwelling in the past and I had to separate what was from what is. These books are Healing from Infidelity, The Divorce Busting Guide to Rebuilding Your Marriage After an Affair by Michelle Weiner Davis. After a Good Man Cheats by Caroline Madden. How can I ever trust you again? Infidelity from discovery to recovery in seven steps by Andrew G. Marshall. At least two of them mention how you can visualize a huge stop sign when the memories start arriving uninvited into your mind. I used to do that briefly and then moved on to mindfulness by looking around smelling the smells, or thinking of the last time I was with Mark. These things help me get in touch with the here and now. 
Sometimes I felt so invaded by the buggers that I needed to use other resources, like playing music, watching comedy, earthing in the garden with my cat, or just hugging my nine-year-old daughter. Sometimes the sadness stayed for days. In those cases, I just accepted it and let it sit with me. By acknowledging that I was in pain, the feeling started to lose control over me. I was able to diversify my emotions and slowly focus on things to be grateful for. Eventually, I could start feeling the joy I so much craved. I felt stronger as I worked on my recovery. I was able to look at a shirt that Mark wore for an encounter with his affair partner the year before and felt the adrenaline rush, accepted it, let it stay with me for as long as it was necessary. By not fighting or fearing it, I noticed that it would fade away relatively quickly. I then had a good look at Mark wearing the same shirt and spending quality time with me. I started to replace the memory with my new reality. The shirt was now just a nice summer short sleeve collar shirt that made my husband attractive and I pursued him and he responded. As the first D-Day anniversary approached, I was hoping I could do something nice so that it would just be another day on the calendar. I knew that the first year could be hard, but I was determined to build new memories and spend as much quality time as possible with this person who was learning to get in touch with his feelings and express the good ones as much as he acknowledged the sad ones. Making sense of love after betrayal. Life after infidelity is a road traveled by many who probably hoped they would be spared from such a painful experience. Sure, there are other traumatic experiences, but infidelity causes trauma like war and grief like the death of a loved one. In recovering from trauma and grief, we look for tools so that we don't get stuck in a rut of misery for too long. Many of us, betrayed spouses, commit to working on ourselves at the therapeutical, physical, and spiritual level. We are forced to grow as we sail through infidelity. Just when I started to morph into a stronger version of myself, I had to face new challenges that arose as a consequence of my ex-unfaithful husband's poor choices. I had to deal with an out-of-court hearing that was completed over many months. It would have been impossible for me to face such a challenge before I felt that my recovery had reached a new level. It was a dispute on fees I had to pay to the lawyer I went to see on the day following D-Day. As I finally felt I had become a new kick-ass version of my old self, I became acquainted with the power of being willing to stand up for myself and say no to others' abusive behavior. This was a new feeling that I applied to Mark too. I started to question his motives for wanting to work on the marriage. Was he doing it for pride, for appearances, or for love? 
Most of us betrayed spouses would want to believe that their remorseful husbands work on recovery for love. Almost one year after discovery, I was convinced that Mark was unable to know love right after the affair came out to the light. Even if he told me that he loved me, it didn't sound convincing to me. Once you lose trust in their words, it is impossible to believe as you once did. So, paraphrasing Esther Perel, infidelity is so hurtful because marriage is not an economic transaction anymore, but rather something we do for love. Once we find the one, she says, he or she is supposed to offer security and adventure, passion and motivation, unconditional support and more of what an entire village used to provide. Plus, let's not forget the spiritual part too. We have replaced searching for happiness in the divine for expecting it all from our spouse or partner in life. All of this got me thinking. Were Mark's effort ever going to be enough for me to be able to forgive him? He would always be the one who cheated, no matter how remorseful or how much work he put into recovery. No affair can be erased. It was up to me to let go and not let it be part of my reality. I had been using the technique of the stop sign, so the memories of the affair didn't take over my thoughts. It worked many times. All the tools and techniques I learned helped me to live a happier life as I recovered from Mark's affair. I was able to enjoy that he was present again and fully committed to me and our family after years of being elsewhere emotionally. Still, some days, the triggers and the challenges overwhelmed me and my pain started talking again. I could not help but start asking about the affair partner some days since they were still working together. I couldn't stop myself from paraphrasing what I heard on that recording that proved the affair without a doubt. I hurt him and he deflated. I would let the pain take over and I wept. At some point, I had a chat with my wise friend Emily by the sea. As I felt the breeze on my face, I told her about my doubts, my pride and how shattered I felt. I had told Mark the night before that he had destroyed my life and that I was stuck with him. It felt like that sometimes. It got me thinking if maybe life was simpler when we didn't expect so much from marriage. Maybe we should look into ancient wisdom and take so many expectations out of this one person we married. Ancient wisdom, is it time to go back to basics? There is no easy path out of the chaos created by infidelity. Once you discover the person who you built your life with lied to you and violated the sanctity of your most intimate places and moments, you enter a new dimension you never thought your chosen one was going to take you to. As you travel into the unknown, hoping that one day the pain will diminish, you probably wonder how it would feel being in the alternative path. If you gave up on recovery work, 
you might wonder if you rushed to make the final decisions. If you are still working on recovery, you might wonder if you are doing what is best for you. Maybe you are missing out on better life opportunities by insisting on staying with the person who betrayed you. Uncertainty is a killer if you give in to it. We have to learn to live life on a daily basis. Infidelity changes us as humans, and it certainly changes our perception of our spouse or partner. I personally cannot feel enthusiastic about any professional achievements that Mark might come up with, as he is still working in the same place where his affair took place. I was his number one fan and cheerleader, and now that feeling is gone. I want to devote my time to empowering other women who feel put down and unappreciated because they devoted themselves to their families. Let's talk about Clarissa Pincola Estes. What does she have in common with Esther Perel? Esther Perel states that the survival of the family today depends on the happiness of the couple. This is something so fucked up, excuse my French, that no wonder we feel so lost when the one we chose for a life partner and parent of our children lets us down. The survival of the family today depends on the happiness of the couple. Perel suggests we plunge into a new relationship with our spouse if we decide to give them a second chance. This was something that resonated with me and influenced my decision to give my husband a second chance. Ancient wisdom, as stated by Clarissa Pincola Estes in her treaty book, Women Who Run With The Wolves, determined that a first-time mother would receive support from a network of other women in the community. Today, the mother is supposed to be supported enthusiastically by her spouse. In a heterosexual couple, the support network is reduced to a father who has not been trained until recently in history to perform as a hands-on baby-child caretaker. For 5,000 years since men discovered their sperm was necessary for the woman to bear a child, they have been doing everything they can to make women forget they once were worshipped as goddesses for precisely giving birth to humans. Women, as a female collective, have been so dominated by traditionally men-managed institutions in a state, religion, and education that today we are trained to be equal to men since we are born. The role of giver of life is somehow seen as a default mode or, or as not being enough. We are expected to have it all, which is possible only in relative terms. The masculine face of the family lives in confusion as to what role is expected of him too. Is he supposed to be strong and tender, bring an income and succeed professionally, and at the same time be present for the baby bath ritual and the bedtime storytelling routine? How can so much be expected of us today? In my own experience, I still cannot reconcile the idea that I was supposed to be a career woman and a house manager, a mother to my children and an enthusiastic lover 
carer, muse, mate, and almost everything to my husband. Martians and women. John Gray of Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus explains beautifully why women are so frustrated when they come home at the end of a testosterone producing day at work to find a messy home where their male partner just wants to put his feet up because he is satisfied from his testosterone producing job. To feel the same degree of satisfaction, a woman needs to carry out some nesting, oxytocin producing, fulfilling activities that require some degree of energy left. But she must miraculously administer the energy left in her amongst her brood and her husband, who would be happily unwinding while zapping between TV channels. She has no time to enjoy cutting flowers from the garden and placing them in a vase. In some cases, a working woman uses the money earned at her testosterone producing job to pay someone else to have the pleasure of cutting her garden flowers for her while she secretly wishes she could do it herself. She might not understand why she feels so frustrated by being unable to exert her right to find pleasure in the small things that were once so appreciated for their healing and balancing effect of the female soul. These are looked down at in our current world. We are thus left with men and women who feel enormous pressure to perform well in all levels of life and satisfy the one in many features of their existence. Unconditional love and infidelity. How can a betrayed spouse interpret the role they are playing in recovering the marriage without giving in to pride? Spiritual leaders suggest this is the real essence of love, but not all of us are spiritually mature enough to embrace this ability to love without expectations. In reality, we expect to be loved and respected by the one we, cho we chose, even if we see it as a second marriage with the same person. The tattoo on their head that reminds us this is the same person who lied to us will never go away. We can choose to ignore it most days and see the other features in our partner, the features that made us fall in love with them in the first place and that made us consider giving them a second chance. I suppose it is okay to feel like we are stupid for letting the ex-unfaithful get away with having an affair. We can secretly visualize them weeping over losing us. It is only a vision unless we kick them out of our life. In doing that, our family will be transformed. The pain of betrayal will still be there and our hearts will be shattered. So what's next? At this point, the best option is to live every single day as it comes, with its challenges and blessings. I chose to keep my family together, to write about my pain and to share my story anonymously in the hope that it will help others sail beyond the pain of infidelity. 11 months after D-Day, I was an even stronger person. My perception of my husband was more one of a flawed human being with a very primitive ability to get in touch and express his own feelings. After I accused him of violating the sanctity of what we had, he stated clearly that he felt awful. He hurt me for a few years by disconnecting, gaslighting and cheating on me. 
it was not easy for me to exercise the elevated concept of forgiveness and unconditional love. I am only human. I had to find my ancient female archetype of the wise giver of life and rise above the selfish feelings of revenge that my dominated woman stereotype recurred to when suffering the consequences of a male-imposed right to stray. I know that if I would have strayed, we wouldn't be working on recovery. But I wouldn't stray. My question was, do I rise or do I succumb? Time would give me the answer. Cheers to the process of recovery, the cha-cha-cha dance. <laughs>